I love the fact that Rob's going to speak to you um, about evangelism, that we're going to talk about reaching our friends, that we're going to talk about reaching people. The natural fruit of planting churches is that we have this, this uh, need and this desire to want to share the gospel. That's why we're planting churches. We want to share with people. We want to share our faith with people. And genuinely, Rob and I've known each other for a while in the New Day team, um, Rob oversees a lot of the outreach, the Who Cares projects uh, that went on, and that has had an impact right across this nation. I think that was the largest Alpha course ever gathered. Did you, it was one of the largest Alpha courses. It was the, okay, so Rob organized the largest Alpha supper that's ever happened. So when we say we're bringing practitioners to you, this guy's got a lot to give, a lot to say, is often asked to speak about this. But other than that, is somebody that lives it, and that's what we really want. Someone that carries it and lives it, and he's so well worth listening to, so I highly commend him to you. The polite way of doing it is not to tell jokes, but give him a round of applause when he comes. Morning. Now, um, I've been asked to speak about the subject of evangelism quite a few times over the years, and um, once Steph Liston... Um, who was speaking to the um, 15 to 19s this morning, asked me to speak to a group of leaders about evangelism. And if I'm really honest, I was feeling like a complete fraud because I hadn't really shared the gospel with anyone, if, and it felt like for ages. And so that morning when I got up, I said, Lord, I'm speaking to a group of leaders on evangelism tonight, and I feel like a bit of a fraud. Could you help me out? Is there any chance you could line up someone that I can share the gospel with today so that I won't feel like such a fraud when I talk to them tonight? Is that all right? And um, I felt like God say, okay. So I did what I normally do, which I go to like this cafe in our town, and I do my reading there. And I was doing some prep. I had a Bible and I had a pen. And I, I sat down and I felt the Holy Spirit say, there you go. And there was a lady in the corner of the room with me. And I said, Lord, I've changed my mind. I'm not feeling it today. And um, so I, I ignored that prompt. And I sat there and I read the Bible. Now, the Bible is not a safe place to hide when you're resisting the promptings of the Holy Spirit. So after about an hour of kind of agony, reading the Bible and taking notes, I finally kind of slammed the Bible shut and I said, Lord, okay, I'll speak to her. But what do I say? And... um, I felt the Holy Spirit say, just say hello, I'll do the rest. And I thought, oh, well, I can say hello. So I looked up at this lady in the corner of the room and I said, hello. And she said, hi, are you a Christian? Is that a Bible? (laughs) And I said, yes. And she said, I've never met a Christian before. And I said, you've never met a Christian before? And she said, no, I've, my parents aren't Christians, my family aren't Christians, my friends aren't Christians, um, the people I work with aren't Christians, I don't remember any Christians in my school, perhaps if I met a Christian, I'd be a Christian. Okay. And I said to her, well, like, if, is, is there anything then that you want to know about Christianity? And she said, well, yeah. I said, well, do you want to come and just sit at my table and I can give, give you a bit of an overview? She said, yeah, that'd be great. So we worked through. So I said, where do you want, shall I, shall I start at the beginning? And she said, yeah. And at one point in this conversation, I thought, I really want her to know that church is a safe place for her to come if she wants to find out more. Because some people think you have to be a Christian before you go to church. So I said to her, look, there's a guy in our church 
who's called Michael. He's pretty much your age. And he said to me the other day that he was 60% a Christian. Um, so if you, um, so even if you're not a Christian, like church is a great place to go and just explore and get your questions answered and find out more. Loads of people that come aren't Christians yet. And she went, oh, he was 60% a Christian. Well, before I met you, I was 0%, but now I'm 10%, maybe more. And you know what? That experience really, really, like sometimes in evangelism, it's those moments where God really gets to you. Because I thought, how many more people are there out there like her? And I just really want to share with you today, um, really some, I just want to lay some foundations about evangelism, about sharing the gospel. Um, I'm going to answer four, five very important questions. Some of them I'm going to answer really quickly, and others of them we're going to really drill down into. And I'm, I'm going to answer five questions Number one, what is evangelism? Number two, what is the gospel? Number three, why should we do it? Number four, what is the pattern that we see in the New Testament? And number five, how can you do it today? And I want to be honest with you, and I wish I could tell you that this wasn't true, but it never, it never stops getting scary telling people about Jesus Christ. I, I, I wish there comes a point where no courage is required and you, I could say to you, I'm, like, you just move in this level of, of faith and obedience, and it's just, it's just easy. It never stops scaring me. I find it just as scary today as I did the first time when I went for it. It, it scares me. It never stops being hard. It never stops requiring courage, but it's worth it, and it's so important. So, number one, what is evangelism? I told you that some of my points are going to be quick. This one's going to be quick. It's telling people the good news of the gospel. That's what evangelism is. It's not serving the poor. That's great. That's really important. That's connected with evangelism. But it's not the same thing. Evangelism is telling people the good news of the gospel. We're not telling people the good news until we're telling them the good news. Second question, what is the gospel? The, good new, the gospel is the good news of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. So when we're telling people about who Jesus is and when we're telling people what Jesus has done in coming to earth, in dying on the cross for our sins, that is sharing the gospel. The gospel is all about Jesus Christ. It's not about is there a God. It's not about why is there all this suffering in the world. That isn't sharing the gospel. Those are great questions to, to explain to people. But sharing the gospel is actually telling them about the person of Jesus Christ who he is, and what he's done. Um, so whenever, in fact, in Scripture, the gospel is called many times the gospel of Christ. The gospel is all about him. It's who he is, it's what he's done. That's the gospel. Thirdly, why should we do it? Now, this might feel like a real waste of time. I mean, you, you guys have come to a seminar on uh, how do we reach people around us with the gospel. But I'm absolutely convinced that many people give up on evangelism because their motivations are too thin. And just knowing in your mind, I think I should be doing this, or having that slightly guilty feeling that I should be telling people about Jesus is, is not really the answer. It's not going to change you. It, it, most Christians have that, but that's not enough. You've got to be persuaded. You've got to be convinced, I can and I should be 
telling people the good news about Jesus Christ. So I want to tell you 11 reasons. If you're someone taking notes, um, you'll love this talk because I love points. I love just laying down point after point after point. We're going to have loads of points on the next three questions, okay? Because I want to equip you. I want to lay up for you important teaching, practical advice, and stuff from the New Testament. So you're going to get a lot of information right now, but you came to a seminar. So this is what you, I, I hope this is what you were looking for. So Why do we do it? What are the biblical reasons for sharing the gospel? Let me give you 11. Number one, the greatness of Jesus Christ. We tell people about Jesus Christ because we think he's amazing, because we think he's awesome, because we love him. When you know someone great or you experience something great, no one has to tell you to pass on that news. When you're amazed at something for yourself, it just leaks. We say, don't we, good news travels fast. If you really believe something is amazing, you just can't help keeping it to yourself. You leak. I'm, I'm like an evangelist for films I really like. If I've seen a great movie, you know, I pester people and say, have you seen this film? It's so good. So we, the first reason that we tell people about Jesus Christ is because we think he's great. And for me, my journey in evangelism began in my bedroom when I was pretty much exactly your age. And I worshipped Jesus and I put my hands in the air and I shut my eyes and I listened to worship music and I mouthed along to the words because I didn't want my parents to know what I was doing and I worshipped Jesus on my own. And in that room I experienced his love for me and I was amazed at who he was and, who he, and all he'd done for me. And I just knew I can't keep this to myself. Like what is going on in here? What God has done for me is too great. I can't keep it to myself. Number one, the greatness of Jesus. Number two, God's desire for the lost to be saved. God really, really loves lost people. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. Not convinced, 1 Timothy 2 verse 3 to 4 says, God our Savior desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Ezekiel 33 verse 11 says, As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather than they turn from their ways and live. God loves the lost. That's reason number two. Number three, our love for the lost. Paul says, compelled by love he uses that expression and one of the reasons that we proclaim the gospel is that we love the people that we want to share the gospel with we actually care about them why should you share the gospel because of love reason number four obedience to jesus jesus said go into the world and preach the gospel in mark 16 verse 15 telling other people about jesus is obeying jesus Jesus once asked this really challenging question of his audience in Luke 6, verse 46. I mean, this wounded me when I first read it. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? You can imagine, you know, like we're, we're worshipping him in, the, in, in that big top and we're saying, Lord, Lord. And he turns to us and says, why are you calling me that when you do not do what I say? So it's really quite simple. We tell people about Jesus Christ because he's our Lord, which means he's in charge, and so we do what he says. Reason number five, human need. I mean, Steph was talking about this all this morning. The Bible says that all people without Jesus Christ are in eternal danger, that they urgently need to be saved. 
Jesus himself puts it in really stark terms. So in John 3, verse 36, he says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. And Romans 9, verse 14 says, How then will they call on him whom they've not believed? How will they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? There's something in us that when we realize the peril, the danger that people are in eternally, and we want them to be saved, we want them to be rescued from judgment. That's what Jesus says. Reason number six, this one might surprise you, to have complete joy. The best friend of Jesus, John, says in 1 John 1, verse 3 to 4, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Evangelism is a joy. And somehow, the joy of knowing Jesus and the Father is not complete until you've shared it. That's what John is saying in 1 John verse 3. Reason number 7, God has already chosen some people. In Acts 18 verse 9 to 10, the Lord says to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. When, he, when God says to Paul, I have many people in this city, what does he mean? Does he mean there's loads of Christians in this city already? No. He's saying, I have people who are not yet Christians, but they're going to become Christians. Do you get the encouragement? God is saying to Paul, carry on. You will succeed. I have already chosen some people. They just don't know it yet. There are people all around you that God could say that <laughs> this same phrase, I have them. I have them. You know, what, what do you mean? They're not even Christians yet. He's chosen them. You're, wherever you go, you will meet people that God has already chosen, that he's already at work in their lives. It's an encouragement. You will succeed. Reason number eight, we owe it to the world. Paul says in Romans 1 verse 14, I am a debtor both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. He talks about being in debt. Now, a couple of new days ago, a group of people gave me five, like, vouchers for coffee that you get from McDonald's. You know the ones where you, like, stick six stickers on them, and then you hand them over and you get, like, a free coffee? Well, I had, like, six of these, and I was entrusted with them to give to Steph Liston, because Steph Liston loves coffee at McDonald's. Now, I'm going to be really honest with you, I forgot. And they stayed in my wallet... And then I didn't really see Steph that much. And I thought, and then I ended up in a McDonald's and I was like, oh, well, these are just going to waste really, aren't they? So I used up Steph's coffee vouchers. And I had basically, over the year, about five coffees. Now, God convicted me about this. And I realized I was in Steph's debt until I gave him five coffee vouchers. So every time I saw Steph... I, I, like for the next year, I was saving up all my stickers, and every time I see Steph, I'd give him another McDonald's coffee voucher. I was in his debt until I passed on what had been entrusted to me. And it's the same way that Paul's talking in Romans 1. 
We owe it to the world. You have been given the gospel. Just like, you, just like I was entrusted with those vouchers. And you are in debt to the people around you until you pass it on. Reason number nine, the desire of the Holy Spirit. We all have the same Holy Spirit, the Spirit that anointed Jesus Christ. And Isaiah 61 begins, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news. The Holy Spirit fills us so that we can share the gospel. It's what he did to Jesus. It's what he does to us and it's what he wants to do. The Holy Spirit gets so excited about reaching lost people. It's what, he, it's what his power is for so that we can reach out and take the gospel into new areas. And sometimes it's, you really feel the Holy Spirit kick in when you step out and start to share the gospel. It's like he comes alive. It's what he's been waiting for. It's what he's filled you for. Number 10 is our identity as witnesses. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. We're not all called evangelists, but we are all witnesses. And so there's a real sense in the reason that we should do evangelism is that it's who we are. Jesus has given us this brand new identity. We're children of God, we're saints, we're holy, but we're also witnesses. And it's this sense that we've seen something We've heard something, and we can share what we know. Now, it may not be much. Like you, some of you might be brand new Christians. Some may, may think, I can, if someone was to ask me off the top of my head, what, what is Christianity all about? I'd, there's not a lot I could remember. But you know something. You've got something to say. Even the little that you have, you pass it on. It's who we are now. It's part of our identity. We've changed. And finally, reason number 11, the example of the early church. Sometimes people will say that evangelism is kind of the job of people who are called apostles or evangelists. But the, uh, the example of the early church really stands against that. In Acts 1 to 4, it says, On, the, on that, gr- that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Those who had been scattered preached the gospel wherever they went. So notice that the apostles are the ones staying in Jerusalem. They're not getting involved in the action. It's the other Christians who are getting scattered by the persecution and they're sharing the gospel wherever they go. So do you get the sense here that there's a lot of reasons why we should be sharing the gospel? It's not a thin, I know I really should be doing it. And then you just feel a bit guilty there's, there's like, some of those reasons are challenging. Some of them are kind of attractive, but, and, there's, and that's not even exhaustive. Like, God wants to persuade you today. He wants to woo you to this. He wants to convince you of this, that this is what we're called to do. We're called to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. Okay, well, now let's start to move in to how. First question, third question, what, fourth question, sorry, what is the pattern of the New Testament. Now, I went through the book of Acts and I counted that there are 37 instances of people sharing the gospel. And I want to make nine observations about what we learn from their example. None of this is very profound, but it is quite important to just lay these blocks down before we rush into talking about how you can actually do this in your life. So, (laughs) number one, they went to the people. 
In a number of cases, the believers or the apostles go to where the people are with the clear intention of sharing the gospel. They go to the synagogue in Acts 12, 13, 14, and 17. They go to the place of prayer in Acts 16. They go from home to home in Acts 5. They go to the marketplace in Acts 17. We need to find ways of going to where the people are. We can't just expect them to come to us. One of the things we do in our church, it's not simple, it's not rocket science, it's simple, is on a Friday night, you will find most weeks people from our church giving out hot chocolates to young people on the streets of our town. And you think, well, how, how can that be? How can you create an evangelistic opportunity there? It's really simple. I, 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 a few weeks ago, I was there, and, and we were giving them hot chocolates, and they say, who's this hot chocolate from? They're like, why are you doing this? And we say, well, because we believe Jesus Christ loves you. Like, you're straight in there, serving and loving people. We've got to keep finding ways to going to where the people are and telling them about Jesus Christ. Secondly, um, here's another observation. The people came to them. In a number of instances, unbelievers seek them out and invite them to come and speak in Acts 17 and 24, or a crowd gathers around them, like in Acts 3. We should expect that there will be instances that when we make ourselves available to Jesus Christ, he will send people to us. Like a great prayer to pray sometimes is just, God, I'm available this morning to tell people about you. If you send someone to me, I will tell them the gospel. Like, have you ever prayed that prayer? Like, I'd encourage you to do it. Just say, Jesus, I'd love to tell someone something about you today. Send someone my way. Third observation that we see from the book of Acts is that the apostles do have an important role. So Acts does focus on their story, and 29 out of the 37 instances of evangelism seem to involve them. They clearly are like pioneers in a lot of the situations, advancing um, and taking the gospel into new places. So there's definitely a place for key leaders taking ground. There's definitely a place for not thinking, I've got to remember everything and tell people this reel of stuff, but I need to bring them to hear this evangelist that we've got in our church. I need to invite them to come. Um, There's an important role that other people play. It's not just all on your shoulders. Fourth observation, though, the other believers had an important role. The gospel first spreads into new areas because, we saw this already, it was the scattered believers sharing the good news. It wasn't the apostles. Here, we find it's almost like the apostles are running to catch up with what just the ordinary Christians are doing. Now, that is a clear encouragement to us, is just go for it. Don't wait for your elder to tell you to tell people about Jesus Christ. Don't, don't wait for someone to create an opportunity. You go for it. You have freedom. You have liberty. This is who you are. Go wherever you go. Tell people about Jesus Christ. Observation number five, signs and wonders played an important role. A number of evangelistic opportunities come about because of an extraordinary healing or afterwards there is some kind of sign and wonder. So it seems to be like before it happens or after it happens. And the last chapter, some people think, oh, that sort of seems to fizzle out though in the book of Acts, but it doesn't really because the last chapter of Acts is um, Paul going to the island of Malta where literally this whole island get healed. There's clearly... (laughs) clearly an encouragement here that there's an, there's an interaction, there's a relationship between signs and wonders and evangelism. 
I remember once going to this same cafe and I did my usual thing where I got up that morning and I said, God, I'm available to tell people about you. Um, if you've got anyone, you can send them my way. But a bit like the time before, I sort of forgot that I'd prayed that. And I settled down to doing some reading. I was actually reading some books on healings. And I really wasn't in the mood to do any evangelism because I was really kind of getting into my books. And a group of women came and sat on the end of the table. And I thought, and I kind of thought, oh, I'm sitting on my table. I'll shuffle over. And, um, and they, they could see that I was reading stuff. And they were like, what are you reading? And I, I really wasn't in the mood to talk. I said, oh, I'm, I'm a church leader, so I'm doing a bit of preparation to actually give a talk at, at my church on Sunday. And the lady said, oh, I could never believe in God. So I shut my book <laughs> and put it down and gave her my attention. And I said to her, and I've, this is something I quite often say to people, I said, oh, so you're quite a skeptical person. Well, let me ask you this, you know, are you open-minded? Like, if you were walking down the street and you were surrounded by a bright white shining light and you heard a voice saying, this is God, believe in me, would you believe in God then? She said, yeah, I think I would. So then I said, okay, so what if I prayed for you today and you were healed? Would you believe in God then? Now, at this point, the other lady, there were three of them, said, well, you can pray for me, boy. And I said, right, what's up? And she said, I've got this terrible back. Can you pray for me to be healed? I said, yeah, let's do it. Now, at this point, the cafe was getting quite full. So it's kind of quite exciting because you could totally tell that people were like, here we what was going on. And um, I said, like, the thing that people tell you to do, which is say, how much pain are you in on a scale of 1 to 10? And she said 10 and started to cry. And I said, well, that is a lot of pain. And I said to her, okay, can I pray for you here and now? And she said, yeah. So in the middle of this cafe, and it went really quiet at this point, I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command the pain in his back to go. I speak to this back and I say, be healed in Jesus' name. She opened her eyes and she said, it's gone. I said, what do you mean it's gone? And she said, the pain. And I said, really? <laughs> and she went, yeah. And I was like, wow. <laughs> and, um, and then before I could say anything else, the woman on the other side said, well, you can pray for me as well. So we ended up praying for her, and, and she seemed, and when, when we prayed for her, she wasn't in pain, but she experienced some kind of physical change, which really freaked her out. So by that time that had happened, I then turned to the lady who'd asked me the question in the first place, and I said, well, there you go. And she looked terrified. <laughs> and I knew she, she, like, she wasn't prepared for how this conversation had gone. <laughs> but I said to her, and I'd actually just read this in one of my books, I said to her, yeah, do you know, have you ever heard a story of like, Jesus healing ten lepers? She said, no, I've never heard of that. She said, well, there's a story in the Bible where Jesus heals ten lepers, but only one of them comes back to thank him. And um, look, you, you, Jesus has healed you. That's what I believe has happened. He healed your friends today. That's what I believe has happened. But now it's your choice. Will you be like the nine who just go away about their day as if it didn't really matter? Or will you, be, will you, go, will you, will you find out about this Jesus? And she, she went very quiet, and they had to leave. And... Um, over the years, I've just seen God do extraordinary things when you pray for the lost to be healed. Jesus loves to give signs that testify that the gospel really is true. It's not something he seems reluctant to do. It's something he loves to do. Um, 
Here's principle number six that we learn from Acts. Persecution played an important role. Remember, it was the persecution that made the disciples leave Jerusalem, and it was persecution that took Paul before various rulers and courts where he was able to share the gospel with like hundreds of people. And Paul has this kind of attitude to his persecution in Philippians 1 verse 12 where he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. So if you find yourself getting kicked back for being a Christian, great, that will become an evangelistic opportunity. It's just, there's something about persecution that God uses it. Principle number seven, sometimes people responded quickly. There are a lot of examples in Acts of people who just seem to respond to the gospel immediately, and they get immediately baptized in Acts 2, in Acts 8, in Acts 16. And we see this. So there was someone who did a year out with our church doing um, evangelism, a a year focused on evangelism, and we sent them out twice a week to to speak to people on the streets. And they met a guy um, on the street called Mark, and they invited him to our church. Um, They met him, I think someone else in our church met him maybe another time or another couple of times. And he came to our church, and on the first Sunday he came to our church, he burst into tears, and my wife Christine led him to Jesus Christ, and he's been coming to our church ever since. It was just like, some of you might have seen this, it's just like God just seems to zap someone and make them a Christian, and it's like, you don't even know how it's happened, you don't even know why it's happened, they've never come, they've got no background in Christianity or church, but God just seems to go, zoom, and it's well exciting, I mean, we, I'd love more of those. Sometimes people responded quickly. Principle number eight, sometimes people responded slowly. While Paul spent days in some places, he spent two years debating in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Um, we read about, that's in Acts 19, we read about the Bereans in Acts 17 who are quite kind of like cautious of what they're hearing. They go back every day to kind of check what Paul is saying to see whether it's really true. Sometimes people respond slowly. So we've got a guy in our church getting baptized um, at the beginning of September and he has done, I think, three Alpha courses with us two one-to-one discipleship courses and we've over a period of about three years and he's he's just a guy that was invited by some of his colleagues in a place of work to come to one of our alpha courses didn't know any christians at all but came along and we've just seen god ever so slowly move in power in his life and now he's there Sometimes people respond slowly. There's a lady in our church called Claire, and we do this thing called Who Cares, where we, we did it in 2014, some of you might have been involved, where we ask people this question, what hurts the most, and then we invite them to basically a series of evangelistic stuff that responds to the issues they wrote on their cards. And this lady wrote on her card, um, was asked by her mum, and asked by her daughter, um, the Who Cares question, she wrote on her card, loneliness. And then her daughter invited her to some of the response stuff that we were doing. She actually came to that Alpha course that was here with 1,400 people. And she basically came to some of the stuff that we were doing to respond. She started coming to our church. And she, like, she, just, she just, once she came, she came every week. And after about three years, we started to become suspicious that maybe she'd become a Christian because she looked like she was enjoying the worship a little bit too much for somebody who's not a Christian. And so I decided, I I want to find out what's going on with Claire. So I met her, and I said, Claire, um, you know, 
you seem like you enjoy the worship, you're like, where are you at with Jesus? And she said, she burst into tears, actually, and she said, just like off her own bat, I do believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and that he's the Son of God. And I said, wow, have you told anyone that before? And she said, no. And I said, how long have you been a Christian? And she said, two weeks. And she said to me, when I worship, I feel like my soul is flooded with joy. Those were her own words. Sometimes people respond slowly. They did in Acts. They do today. Principle number nine, church planting played a central role. And I'm not going to talk about that because you had like a whole seminar on that. But there's a massive relationship between evangelism and church planting. They, They really go together. So now I want to move on to talking about the principles for you in your everyday life. So I'm going to slow down a bit and we're going to look at, I think I've got six, six principles for you, how you can now start to outwork some of this in your life. Now, not everything that I'm talking about is about, is necessarily talking about sharing the good news. Some of it's almost like the stage before, but the stage before is really important because sometimes if you don't do the stage before, you don't get to the stage where you get to share the gospel. So I want to share with you six principles, and these are really principles for, um, that are great for your friends, but also can apply when you, when you come into contact with strangers as well. So here we are. I want to give you six biblical principles for doing this stuff. And then if we've got time, we'll open it up to questions. So number one, love the people in front of you. Do you know that your life is the best recommendation for the Christian faith? And here's how I believe it should work, and I think this is biblical. When people become Christians, they should become more loving sons to their parents. They should become better spouses. They should become more diligent employees. When people become Christians, the people around us should gain some kind of benefit from our Christianity. And I often say, you know, like, when people, like, have just become a Christian, like, this is not a moment, because sometimes people can be very excitable when they first become a Christian. You really have to take a new Christian aside and say, like, please can you try and look a bit happier so that the people who are thinking about becoming Christians, you know, won't get put off because you look so miserable. Like, that is a conversation I really have, I've, ne- I've never had to have as a church leader. Like, often when people become Christians at the beginning, they're irrepressible with excitement. And I have to say to them, look, this is not a moment to become all obnoxious to the people around you that you are in close contact with and forget what it was like the day before you were a Christian. Like, Actually, people around you should be gaining some clear benefit from your Christianity. So notice Peter's advice to wives with non-Christian husbands. He says this in 1 Peter 3, Submit to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they will may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Now we had a lady in our church who became a Christian on an Alpha course. And one of the things that her family said to me on the day of her baptism, and she'd said this to me as well herself was, before mum was a Christian, she was a really critical person. Like she was always like tearing us down. She was critical to, (laughs) to dad and she was critical to us. But since she's become a Christian, she's so different. Now her husband clearly gained some benefit from her Christianity. 
Like he could clearly say, he could at least say, even if he didn't believe Christianity was true, he's had he's had some payoff from it. You know, it's been good for him that his wife is a Christian. Now, what benefit are your friends getting from your Christianity? There should be one. They should be, even if they're not convinced that Christianity is true, they should be able to say, like, I don't believe, but they're such a lovely person and are such a great friend to me. I know that I could go to them with any problem. Like, they're so generous with their time. They're so generous with their money. They should, they should be getting a benefit from your Christianity so that even if they think, don't think it's true, they can't help but find it, they can't help but be a little bit pleased that you are because it, it blesses them. Do your parents get that? Do your, do your siblings get that? Love the people in front of you. That's where it starts. I know, I know you were wishing I'd say something else. But it, it does start with that. It does start with just loving the people in front of you. Principle number two, we're not actually talking about showing the gospel yet. We're talking about the, the precepts. Graciously listen to the people around you. Most people are not ready to listen until they've been heard. So I would say, ask people what they believe and be fascinated by what they say. It's really interesting. Please, please, please don't try and tear down people's beliefs and be confrontational. Draw them out. Show respect to them. Do you know, the two passages in the Bible that specifically address having a conversation with somebody who is not a Christian say things like, do this with gentleness and respect, and the other, let your conversation be always full of grace. How you talk to people, the tone, the kindness, the respectfulness All of that is absolutely essential. The focus is not in these scriptures on winning some kind of argument or making a point and feeling like, yeah, I made the better point. That's what I used to do. It doesn't work. Um, Be gracious, be respectful, be fascinated by what people say. Questions that I love asking people are things like, do you have a faith at all? What do you think is the most important thing in life? What do you believe happens when we die? What do you think of the church? And that's a great one to ask, that, to show them that you're, that you're up for a really respectful conversation. Because when they say something really negative, rather than go all defensive, go, wow, yeah, I think, I think a lot of people feel like you do. Simply listening causes people to think and reflect, and that can start a journey towards someone becoming a Christian. We've got a guy in our church called James, and James, when he was kind of first interacting with Christians, he's not from a Christian family, loved debating. He loved, our, he loved like discussion. He was a real kind of thinker person. You might have a friend like this. He loved to just kind of argue and say his reasons and ask questions. He, was, he really kind of de- loved the kind of debate. And so someone not part of our church, but in his previous church, said to him, look, James, what I want you to do is I want you to write for me on a page why, what you believe and why, and I'm going to do the same, and let's swap them. Now, that process of just being asked to explain what you believe and why convinced him that what he believed had no basis No one had ever taken the time to really listen to him and make him think. And shortly after that, he became a Christian. It's the power of just getting people to think, just getting people to explain, why do you believe 
what you do. Because one of the key things that happens when someone becomes a Christian is they start to realize that their own belief system is shaky, got lots of problems, maybe got even more problems than what they've perceived Christianity to have. And they start to feel like they're on shaky ground. Principle number three, offer to pray. We talked about how healing and evangelism go together. So Jesus preached the gospel and he healed the sick. Now, of course, it's important to say that preaching and teaching was Jesus' primary ministry. He actually says, that is why I have come, when he's talking about preaching. That's why I've come. I've come to herald a message. But Jesus also said to his followers in Mark 16, preach the gospel and these signs will accompany those who believe. They will place their hands on people who are ill and they will get well. A repeated phrase that Jesus said to people was, what do you want me to do for you? And sometimes when you meet someone who's got a problem and you want to offer prayer, I love asking them this question. I love saying, what do you want Jesus to do for you? And then we just pray with them. Now we all know that when you pray for the sick, not everyone gets healed. But some people do. And John Wimber used to say, when we prayed for nobody, nobody got healed. When we prayed for some people, some people got healed. It's just... Like, and you can, you can obsess about that and be, live in fear of that. And sometimes you can be fear of thinking, will I make it worse if I offer to pray for them and they don't get healed? But you know what? I think we've just got to be obedient to the pattern of the New Testament and leave that mystery up to God and offer to pray for people. And I think that's an important part of, um, <laughs> of sharing the gospel. It's like complementary. So those are three kind of initial principles for um, evangelism. Now let's kind of move into when we start to share the gospel, how do we do it? Well, number four, share your stories of how Jesus helps you. When people are ready to listen, when you know that you've got someone who actually wants to hear what you've got to say, and maybe they've got questions, like where's, where's a good place to go? Well, I would say share your stories of how Jesus has helped you overcome the ordinary problems of your life, your worries, a relationship problem. Um, Talk about how who Jesus is and what he has done connects with your everyday life. I would say you don't need, it's not really always the wisest thing to rehearse your story of how you became a Christian. Because, I mean, that's great, but the problem with just sharing your testimony all the time is that it's actually quite hard to share your testimony in such a way that other people feel included. Like, if you tell people your story of how you became a Christian, and often most people's stories of becoming a Christian contains moments in it that are a bit weird. You know, like, you went to a meeting and you felt something. Or you went to this thing and something really weird happened. Or you saw this amazing thing happen. All that's great, but when people hear you share that story, they can easily think, well, that's great for you, but it's never happened to me. Because I didn't walk down that street and get that fuzzy feeling. But when you share your stories of how your faith helps you with the ordinary problems of your life, how Jesus and the gospel has helped you deal with your worries, your anxieties, your relationships, your, your bad experiences of growing up, when you share that, that is like gold. Because people hear it and they think, Jesus has helped you and you were going through that. Well, I've been through that. 
Do you get what I'm saying? So sharing testimony is helpful, but sharing your stories of how Jesus helps you and how the gospel connects with your ordinary life is so, so, so helpful. Um, Point number five, keep the focus on Jesus. I would say take people quickly to Jesus. There are plenty of dead-end conversations that can be a bit of a distraction. And this is a skill that you can learn over the years, is, is how to take people quickly to the center point of Christianity, which is who is Jesus and what has he done. Like there, there are plenty of dead-end conversations, aren't there? Like talking about creation and evolution. Um, I don't know, talking about some Christian moral that they don't really like. Or even their questions about suffering. All those questions, um, often it's quite hard to know how to answer them. Like most people can't remember a decent response to one of those questions, um, it's much better to try and quickly make a connection to Jesus Christ. And I want to give you an example of how you can do this with each of these issues. Because when we talk about Jesus, we're sharing the gospel. When we answer these questions, we're, n- we're not necessarily doing that. So how do, we, how do we take them from their questions to the person of Jesus? So, say someone asks you, how do you know God exists? Well, I would say... The ultimate evidence that God exists is that Jesus Christ claimed to be God and he rose again to prove it. There, you've like pulled them from, is there a God, to did Jesus rise from the dead? Because that actually is what the Bible offers us. The Bible is not a book that gives you loads of evidence for the existence of God. It just assumes God exists. But the Bible does say that the proof It uses that word. The proof that God has provided is that he has raised his son Jesus Christ from the dead. So that's the evidence that we need to be talking about. And so you can say a similar thing if someone wants to talk to you about creation or evolution. You're like, how did, like, is there a God? You know, that that whole debate. Well, I would say, this is what I would say. The evidence that Christianity offers us is not scientific evidence. It's historical evidence. It's more like the evidence that you would put before a jury. And the evidence all points towards this claim that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It's not about... And and so we don't talk about how God created the world. We talk about, no, we know that this is true because of this kind of evidence. the The Bible doesn't go there. It doesn't try and make that case. So when we try and make it ourselves, we're reaching for things that aren't in the Bible to make our case. But when we go here, we've got scripture behind us. Morality. When people say, oh, I, you Christians hate gay people, or you've got horrible views about this or that, or it's repressive and it's damaging what you teach people in churches now. They're not lib- you're not, people are, are not free, they're not liberated. What would I say to someone who's got those kind of questions? This is what I would say. Every culture finds some parts of Christianity attractive and other parts repellent. The first question that we've all got to ask is not do I like Christian morality, but is Jesus Christ the Son of God? Because if Jesus Christ isn't the Son of God, then who cares what Christians say about how we should live our lives? Why do you even care? But if he is, then we need to talk about it. That's the question that you need to know the answer to. Do you not, not do you like the, the Christian lifestyle and think it's good, but is it true? And of course, and, and trying to get, help them just see that, you know, in any culture of the world, people will like some things about Christianity and dislike others, but that just tells them more about them rather than about whether Christianity is actually true. It just tells them about the culture they grew up in. Suffering. A lot of people ask this question, what about suffering? How do we, 
handle suffering? How can there be a God of love when there's so much suffering in the world? Still a very popular question. And this is the kind of thing that I would say. The ultimate response that Christianity offers us to the problem of suffering is not an argument, but a person. Christianity says that God has lived among us and that he has suffered with us on the cross. And so in a way, Christianity gives us the answer that we need rather than the answer that we want. It doesn't tell us why. Why me? Why has this happened to me? But it does prove beyond all question that no matter what you're going through, that God still loves you. Look at the cross. God's proved that to you forever. So do you see, we need to get people, like, like in your comments, let's run to Jesus Christ. Let's take them there and then see what God does. Um, point number six, invite people around you without fear. It's not just about you sharing. It's not always going to be you that actually shares the gospel. Sometimes the most significant thing that you can do is get, bring someone to a place where someone else will tell them the gospel. Most people need to hear the gospel told by multiple different people in lots of different contexts. And I would say invite the people around you without fear. Do you know that it's actually quite polite, polite to invite people to things? It's a friendly thing to do. It's not our place to assume that people don't want to be invited. Now, if someone says to you, look, I don't want to come to any activities at your church, so can you stop inviting me? Then you have a free pass. You, are, uh, you do not have to invite that person anymore. But until they say that to you, I say, carry on. Now, I, when I first went to university, I had a guy on my hall called James, and he came into my room, and I had a lot of Christian books on my bookshelf. And he was like, oh, you're a Christian. And we had this horrible, awkward conversation about Christianity. You know, like, I was uncomfortable. He was uncomfortable. He regretted bringing it up. I regretted that he brought it up. And I thought, oh, I'm not going to be talking to him again about this anymore. I can tell he's really uncomfortable. And so I thought, I'm going to be really sensitive. I'm going to be really sensitive to his needs. And I'm not going to talk to him about Jesus anymore. And do you know what? I'm not going to invite him to Christian things. So I invited everyone else on my halls to come to evangelistic stuff that they were doing at the Christian Union. But I didn't invite him because I wanted to be sensitive. He became a Christian through somebody else at university. My friend witnessed to him and he became a Christian. And after he became a Christian, he sat me down and he said, Rob... I felt really left out when you didn't invite me to all those things that you were doing at your, like at Christian Union. I would have wanted to come. Why didn't you invite me? And I was like, oh, I was really convicted by that. I was like, Lord, I was so wrong. I was so wrong about this. I'd written him off. I thought I'm being the sensitive one. But he wanted to know. He became a Christian through someone else. Really challenged me. We, we can't write people off. We just don't know until they say. Sometimes we can think, I'm reading all the signals. Do you know what? Once I, when I started leading my church, I started knocking on doors uh, in the community. I just wanted to introduce myself and just see if we'd have any opportunity to just reach anyone. So I'd like knock on the door and in a kind of an embarrassed way, just introduce who I was and what we were doing. And I knocked on one door and a lady opened the door and she said, come in, come in, come in. And she, she burst into tears. Two weeks ago, her husband had died. She was devastated with grief. And I told her about Jesus. I prayed with her. We actually got someone to come and like, like do some gardening for her, which her husband used to do. 
But you know what? I came away from that encounter with her and started to feel embarrassed. And, and I had this little narrative in my head where I started thinking, you idiot, you went too far. She was a vulnerable woman in her moment of grief. And you went in there with the gospel and you started praying with her and inviting her to church things. What were you thinking? That was too much too soon. And so for years, I felt like this guilt that I'd been too, I'd been too much too soon. I'd not been sensitive with this woman. And about two or three years later, she showed up at an alpha course at our church. I was stunned. And I said to her, Angela, why are you here? And she said, why am I here? So I'm here because of you. All those years ago, you invited me to come to your church and prayed with me. And I've been thinking about it ever since. And I knew I wasn't ready to come at the beginning, but I've never stopped thinking about it. But now I'm here. You know, sometimes we, this fear gets into us of, of doing something dumb or being embarrassing. And yeah, we do need to be sensitive. You know, there, there, there are people out there who are insensitive in the way they evangelize. But you know what? I think a lot of the time we feel fear. And so I say invite people with, 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 without fear. Okay. Well, that is everything that I want to share. I know I've like crammed in a lot of information into your brains after you've just already heard Steph Liston talk about cool stuff um, or whatever was happening in 11 to 12s, 12s to 14s. But any, just we've got a little bit of time now for questions. Um, yeah, if anyone's got any questions around the subject of evangelism, I, I'd love to be helpful. So how do you share the gospel with your family when it feels like when you share it, it pushes you apart? Well, I think it's really interesting, Paul's advice to, to wives who have a non-Christian husband, is he says, win them over without words, which means the closer the level of relationship, the weight needs to lean towards how you behave rather than what you say. So if someone doesn't want to hear, you can't change that. You've got to then focus on praying and loving them and being the best family member that you can possibly be. I would say if it's if it's if it's if it's causing like division like potentially you need to dial it back and focus on loving them and and be praying like god i want to show my family members that your love and ask him what can i do they don't want to hear me but they can't stop me loving them how can i love them ask god that question and start to live that out and maybe in 5 years maybe in 10 years maybe in a month your sense, the, ro- mo- the, the moment's right to bring it up again. I think the other thing is that sometimes we can just talk in a really genuine weightly way about what's going on in our lives with people that are close to us. And assuming that we've got family members that are actually interested in our lives and we've got that kind of relationship where they actually want to be close to us, then it's still appropriate for us to just share little snippets of the things that God's doing in our lives. Like that should, like, you know, just... When people ask us, how are you, how are you? Like, it's sometimes we can hide a little bit what God's doing, can't we? And, and, and just talk about everything that's not to do with Jesus. But sometimes we feel, no, it's appropriate for me to say, actually, one of the reasons I'm doing so well is because I went to this event called New Day. And I really was helped in this way about this issue. And not go on for a long time, but just put it up there. that This is a conversation I'm having. If you want to have that conversation... I'm happy to share with you. But I think being testimonial, if you're going to share anything in terms of words, it needs to be at that level 
not direct, not challenging. Let's follow Paul's advice, like what the closeness of the relationship, the way it moves away from words and towards like loving people in front of us. We had someone else had a question over there. So this is somebody that already knows that you're a Christian. So that is almost like step one of evangelism is someone knows that you're a Christian. The other kind of early stages then that you need to be doing before, if, and, and you often have to kind of cycle around these quite a lot, is list, ask them about what they believe and just listen. Like restrain yourself to just be fascinated and listen to them. Um, and then maybe if they're going through a really difficult time and you feel it's appropriate, offer to pray for them. And then another step at this sort of stage is sharing how your faith helps you overcome the ordinary problems of your life after you've kind of listened to them about the things that they might be going through. I would say those are like really early stage stuff that you need to be doing before you kind of dive into, can I tell you about Jesus? Um, especially if it's somebody that like you know and you see a lot of. And often you have to kind of keep just cycling around those things before they, there's a shift and suddenly an opportunity comes for something more to open up. I think when you've got somebody who's moved from not being interested to being interested, then thing is things like giving them a book to read, inviting them to Alpha. It's those sort of steps come and, and sharing your story of what Jesus has done in your life. But you've, I think you've got to almost do the, look, the bit before with the people that you know really well before going into that kind of stuff. Does that help? I'd say if you've got somebody who's really antagonistic and that means you know, which means they talk about it, then your way in then is, is again, is listening. It's like drawing them out. Like, what is it that makes them so against Christianity? What is it? You know, like, just see it as almost a learning opportunity for you. Um, and it's often those people that underneath that aggression, there are some questions. There are some issues that are going on in their life. And just and sometimes those people are often the most promising ones because at least they want to talk about it. And so just, you know, like sometimes even like bringing up an issue and saying like, well, talk to me about this and just really listening to them. Um, if, you're, if you're gracious and you're respectful in that conversation, however rude and obnoxious they are, you're winning trust, you're winning relationship. And then you may just find that then suddenly an opportunity comes where you think they're going through a hard time. And you just show a bit of compassion to them about that issue. And it's not about Christianity. And then suddenly, like a little window of opportunity can come up. I had a guy, I'll tell you one story and then I'll finish because I think I've got to finish. Um, so there was a guy like this who came to one of our outreaches that we were doing in our town. And he had read The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins and was an absolutely convinced atheist, or so it seemed. And he wanted to meet me, to argue with me, to tell me why Christianity wasn't true. And so it was kind of lined up that I was going to meet this guy because they knew that I was going to be on our youth outreach. And so I sat down with him and I said, so I just listened to him. And I listened to all his reasons why he didn't believe that God exists. And I said maybe two, maybe three, like tiny sentence responses to some of the things that he said. And I could tell that when he heard me speak that he'd never heard someone give the other side of the argument before. So I just went somewhere unexpectedly and I said to him what I said to these, um, what I said to in one of the stories before, I said to him, are you open-minded? Like, if you were surrounded by a bright white shining light and heard a voice saying, this is God, believe in me, would you believe in God then? And he said, yes. And I said, so if you were sick and I prayed for you today and you were healed, would you believe in God then? And rather than answering that question, he said, there is something that you can pray for me about. 
So suddenly this guy that was coming to tell me why God doesn't exist was asking me to pray for him. And I said, what's wrong with you? What, what, what can I pray for you about? And he said, I have anxiety and panic attacks. I've had some tragedy in my life. And ever since then, I've been seeing a therapist and I'm taking drugs. So I says, can I pray for you? He said, yeah. So I prayed for him. In the name of Jesus, I commanded healing over his body. And when he opened his eyes and he looked up, I thought, something's just happened to you. So I asked him, I said, when I prayed for you, did you feel something? And he said, yes. When, I, when you prayed for me, I felt love. I said, can I tell you what I think that is? I think that's God showing you the love that you could have if you were his. I said, does that make sense? And he nodded. Three months later, he turned up at an alpha course unexpectedly with seven friends that he brought. We didn't see him all those months. At the end of the alpha course, I asked him, I said, I prayed for your healing on that day. What happened? And he said, I'd never took a, taken a drug since. I never had to see a counselor. I was completely healed. So sometimes the people that want to argue, underneath that, sometimes God will just open a window for you to minister the love of Jesus to them. It's good, isn't it? Very, very good. Do you know the interesting, the reason it's good is because, and I mean this as a compliment, Rob is very, very ordinary. And that's the lovely thing, is that this has just been presented to you in a way that's accessible, and that is story after story after story, which is encouraging. And the reason I got up a little bit earlier is I'd love him to pray for us. I don't know how you feel, but I feel like he's carrying something for that. And, um, and I'd love you to, to just pray for us that we would um, have that ordinary boldness in our conversations and that we'd be brave enough to pray uh, in the mornings. God, could we meet someone um, today that we'd share with? Would you pray for us? Should we just maybe stretch out your hands? And it, do this as a sign of just offering yourself to God. The, the Bible says, in, in light of God's mercy, offer your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Don't do this if you're not willing to do that. But if, you're, if you want to just offer, God to yourself, God, offer yourself to God for this, just stretch out your hands. Father, you see all these outstretched hands. And you see all these open hearts to you. And Father, I want to take that what we're offering you in this tent, not in this tent, in this room, would be a holy sacrifice, pleasing and holy to you. Would you take us and use us to proclaim the gospel to those around us, in our towns, in our cities, in our villages? Father, make us bold. Fill us with the fire of the Holy Spirit. We're so weak, we get scared. It's never easy. God, fill us with fire. Fill us with boldness so that we can tell people about Jesus Christ. And I just want to pray for a multiplication of open doors across this whole room. I want to pray that just doors and doors and doors of gospel opportunity would open and open and open and open for these people. That they would find themselves going into rooms that they weren't expecting to be in, speaking to groups of people they weren't expecting to be in, because people want to know about Jesus Christ. Father, I want to pray that you would, put, that you would open their eyes to see the, the open doors already around them the people that you are pressing onto their hearts to pray and to love and to serve and to share your love with. Lord, open a door for our message, for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.